Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. You can call me J-Bay if you're listening to Blissful Prospecting. Uh, in this podcast, I believe that outbound is a game of odds. So in order to get better results, we must make better decisions about how we decide to communicate with prospects through our cold outreach. So our cold emails, cold calls, and LinkedIn messages. And with this show, I'm on a mission to help reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into qualified opportunities. Super excited for our guest today. We're talking to Joel Graber. Joel is actually a past client of mine, and he's the founder of a company called ModernOutbound.com. And today we're talking about what he's learned from sending over 2 million cold emails for his clients. Let's get to the episode. I'm excited for you to listen to the conversation today with Joel. Joel, um, one of the things that, you know, in this podcast that we talked a lot about, and we both are business owners, so it's always good to talk to other people in this space that run a business, but we spent a lot of time talking about copywriting. He actually personally writes sequences for 30 plus of their clients that they have. So he's running a really good sized business, working with a lot of different clients, mostly in SaaS, but across a bunch of different industries. And he talks about his process for iterating and testing. So connecting the dots between pain, uh, value, he talks about triggers and things like that to look for. We talk about subject lines, CTAs. The other thing that we talk about too that's kind of interesting is advice that you may have seen people like on LinkedIn, for example, say that's bad advice. So bad quote unquote advice that is actually you know good advice. He also talks about using visuals, segmenting by triggers. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff that we get into that I think you're really, really going to dig. So before we get to the episode, I got a quick favor. If you listen to the podcast on Spotify, I'd love for you to rate the show real quick. It's actually super easy. Um, Unlike Apple iTunes and the podcast player on the iPhone, if you listen to this podcast on Spotify, if you just open up the Blissful Prospecting page, You'll see something there in the upper left that says five star next day. If you just click on that, you can rate the show. Just rate it honestly, whatever you think. I'd really appreciate it so that we can get this show in front of more salespeople like you and keep getting on great guests like Joel. All right, let's get to the interview. So I have to ask you, do you remember, because you've been doing this for a little while, do you remember the first time you were tasked with doing cold outreach? Like what that felt like? Were you excited about doing it? Were you just like, oh fuck, you know? <laughs> it was. It what was, was that time? Oh man, I definitely wouldn't use the word excited. I'd say so. I my background coming from financial services. I was I started my career at BlackRock and then switched over to J.P. Morgan. So like very, I mean, great company, great companies, but very stuffy in the way that we yeah. would actually reach prospects. There were a lot of regulations on what we could say, what we couldn't say, how to frame it. So I think I was kind of like this like monkey that wanted to jump out of a cage and be creative, but I couldn't do it. And then as I got out of financial services and into like the FinTech world at a startup, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of fun. And for the listeners out there, Jason and I got started. The reason why I know you, I think it'd just be interesting for people listening is I heard Jason on a podcast. I think it was maybe three years ago. And I was yeah. kind of like experimenting with prospecting. And that was a big part of what I was doing um, at the startup that I was working at. And I reached out to Jason and we can, and, and it's like, Hey, I would love to get you some of your ideas, do a consulting arrangement. And you are awesome. And a, a critical part of like that origin of like, okay, this is the right way to do outbound. And it like kind of activated a part of my brain that was just sitting there dormant. I was like, Oh, this is how, you cut through the noise and that's yeah. sort of what started this whole thing. What, what was it that clicked for you? I think it's, it's, it's a weird thing. Like you, you have a conversation with somebody and they seem really cool, laid back. They know their product. They know who they help. And then you ask them to write a cold email or you ask them to write a LinkedIn message. And all of a sudden you read that and you're like, okay, that's, that, that person didn't write that. Those yeah. are two different people. So there's this like weird wall that comes up, like yeah. really cool person that writes copy. And it's like, you've, you've totally 
you've, you put the, you've, I don't know, you put this wall up between you and like how you want to talk to prospects. So the, the breakthrough moment for me, and you helped me through a lot of this too, was just insert your personality into it. Talk to the person like they're just any other person. Lead with mm -hmm. problems, right? Don't talk about your product. It's not a commercial for your product. You always are selling the conversation. And the way to sell the conversation is for them to look through their tons of emails that they get in their inbox and say, okay, this is like a real person that actually like is asking a thought provoking question. They want to have a conversation. They're not just selling me on something. So what do you think it is that like breaking down that barrier? I know exactly what you're talking about because you're one of like now thousands of people that I've talked to about that, whether one-on-one -on -one or in group form, you know? Yeah. Where do you think that comes from? Is it like an insecurity? Is it a lack of experience? Is it a feeling like I have to put a different, you know, face on, you know, to prospect? Like, what do you, what do you think it is? Why are people so not themselves it's when they do question. this? It's a really good question. I think it, there's, there's a lot of factors. It, sometimes when you're at one company, you're working at one company and you're selling mm -hmm. one product for so long and you jump in and it's like, you're not even really writing copy until you're a few months in for the, for the SDRs, the AEs, right? And by the time that happens, and it's been six months, five months, like you're so ingrained in your product that yeah. you only see the world through the lens of like your product. And it's almost less about how am I going to fit into somebody else's world? How am I going to help them do their job better? So the copy is kind of this like vomit of bullet points and cool features. Like I always say, it's like, when you get a new house and like your friend comes over and you like give them the tour, like your friend just wants to see the essence of the house. Like they just, they want to get a sense. Of, okay. Is it like open concept, like kitchen, living room? Okay. This looks cool. Good fixtures. They don't yeah. give a crap about like your basement closet, but you care about that. You're super proud of that. Like you, you work yeah. with a contractor, like you, it's a finished basement. You got that closet, but like very few people are really going to care. So I think that transfers into the copy is like, you're excited about a lot of features that honestly is not going to connect with a prospect. So don't lead with that. Like go yeah. piecemeal. Right. And that's how we build copy is we lead with a problem. If that's not resonating, move on to something else. Don't just keep yeah. bumping, bumping. Yeah. I love that it? analogy. Yeah. Um, I think that there's, like, I, I agree with what you're saying. It really, like, if we had to chunk that up a little bit more, I think it is a, I don't know. It's like almost a lack of EQ or social awareness. Mm. So I'll give you an example. So if, if you came over to our home and I was doing a home tour for you and I was like really into, um, I don't know, our garbage disposal, let's say, <laughs> right? Exciting. There's some good for ones. Me, for me to not look at your face and your body language that like, Hey, I want to show you the garbage disposal and to look at how you react to that. Yeah. To me, to, for me to not be able to read the room a bit and just be like, clearly he's not interested in this. He didn't say that, hmm. but clearly he's not interested in the garbage disposal. You know what I mean? I, I think it's yeah. this lack of like EQ and a really self-centered focus that most people have. I call it prospecting hmm. narcissism. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good way to label it. It's a good like, way to label it. Like there's, um, so one last thing on this, because I'm really curious how you write copy. The other thing I think about that I'm curious is, what have you noticed about, and then I'll share my thoughts. So what have you noticed about how most salespeople you interact with, just how would you grade their listening skills? Like their ability to really listen and read between the lines and really like get, like just in your own personal interactions with salespeople, B2C and B2B, how would you grade most of them on a scale of one to 10? Oh, I would say for the new ones, it, you know, it's sort of like this ramp up, but for the new ones, it's gotta be at like a two or a three, you know, yeah. and then the really good ones that have been in AE, they've been in the game for a while. They're on the track to maybe lead a team. Like they're a little bit better, but even those I've, I've overheard those like demos and discovery sessions and it ain't great. It ain't great. You know? And it's a question of like, why, like, why is it not good? I think it's, I think it's not, I think it's bad leadership. So it's coming from the top. You're doing what yeah. you feel like you're supposed to do. Like I had to say, yeah. I'm doing the, as a salesperson, right? Cause I, I run an agency, but I'm still selling, right? 
I'm bringing in new clients. Like I'm at the top of my game right now. Right. And I wasn't that way. Like if I were at a previous role and I was kind of like under the guise of some, I was trying to be somebody else in a way. Yeah. And while I was able to break through that, like that's when the magic really started to happen. And I was like, really, I was open to experimenting new things because I was my own, you know, my own boss. Like I only have to answer to myself. Right. And that's when I was able to really break free and by trial and error, figure out the right way to like run a sales process. So I think for reps who are like trying to build their own business, like just, and this is, I think a lot of people have said this, this is not like a new idea, but just be an owner. Don't, if your VP of sales or your CRO or CEO or whatever tells you to do something a certain way, always listen, but, but run it through your own filters because it has to sound like you and it has to sound authentic. If that first call sounds like a sales call, like you're just going to get a bunch of tune out, like eyes rolling, people tuned out. They're not going to remember it. Yeah. I love where you're going with this. It's uh, because what I wrote down was being somebody else. And in a kind of a macro way, if you think about it, I mean, that just happens like in your everyday life. I mean, think about how you grow up. Why do most people go to college? Because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what they told Mm. you in high school that you're supposed to prepare for. Mm when like I dropped out of college three years in, as soon as I figured I want to run a business, cause I'm like, I'm not really learning how to run a business like from these people, you know? Yeah. And you think about all the people that maybe should have gone to trade school or just done something else. Like there was a different path for them. I think that same thing that like herd mentality or that Buffalo kind of theory where I'm just going to like follow the rules and do that. Mm. I think a lot of people do that in sales where it's, Hey, when I, cold email, I've been taught to use a copy and paste template. That's just what everyone does. Why, why would I want to do something differently? Yeah. It feels risky, I think, mm. to do something differently or to listen to your boss and then to try something completely the opposite because you know it'll work better. Yeah. That's, that's kind of risky and scary, I think, for, for a lot of people. It is. Who knows where you'd be? I mean, if you finished four years of college, like you might just be some miserable suit at some company, like wishing you could break free somehow, like it yeah. forced you and you were getting out of it to, you're like, well, I better figure this out because no one's going to do it for me. Yeah. So let's talk about copy. How do you, and to give people some perspective, you want to share just, you know, how many emails are you sending out per Ooh. month? That was a number that kind of blew me away. <laughs> Can you share just to give some perspective because there's so many data points there that you're collecting mm-hmm. and then just share like, how do you think about like copywriting, like what are some of the things you write all the email campaigns for your company too, which is super cool. How do you, how do you think about the copy? Yeah. So I probably send close to a couple million emails a month, right? This is across lots of clients, lots of campaigns within those clients. Right. Um, And it's a, it's a pretty structured process. Like people think about copywriting, especially like when you write sales sequences and they think it's like, you're sitting in like a coffee shop, you know, and you're feeling like that mojo and you're feeling the creative <laughs> juices and you're like, yeah, I'm going to say that. Like this like yeah. awesome one-liner that's going to get somebody to respond. And there's definitely an element of that, but I find that really good copy, you are constantly iterating over and over your AB testing, especially when you start writing copy, like you're trying out three, four, five, six variations of the messaging, the call to action, the subject line, the types of follow-ups that you do. And you're also running it across lots of campaigns for a client. So for, for reps who are like trying to figure out like where, where they're going to hit the vein, I would definitely recommend run lots of campaigns simultaneously. That's what we do because mm-hmm. it gets us to figure out, we can figure out pretty quickly like where are we striking the vein? What message is resonating with, with what persona? And coming into the relationship with the client, the way that like we get inspired to write copy for this particular client is a very rigorous onboarding assessment, right? Which I think anybody who's going to sell anything should do, right? Yeah. Reps are so used to getting interviewed. Like you should go into that job first day, have an onboarding assessment that the CEO or the VP of sales or whoever should fill out it's going to be good for them too. Like pain points. How many different pain points do you really solve for? What are the value props that tie into those pain points? And then what Mm -hmm. are some of like the triggers? So, okay, now how are you going to build those lists? Right. 
are you looking at hiring a company that's just had some maybe funding, maybe they had funding, but it was like a year and a half ago or two years ago. And maybe they're like hitting a, a rut of some kind, job promotions, M&A, how small a department is, revenue, like, because that's going to help you actually build the list. So I say the copy, back to my original point about the coffee shop, it's like, you're going to have the creativity, but you also need to be really structured and test the hell out of your market and actually yeah. act on it. Like people, I always see like, well, not always, but I've seen people that are testing things and I, I'll look at their sequences and there's still five or six variations, five months in, right? And it's like, well, which one's working? Use the one that's really working and then help that drive new campaigns. Take the existing data to drive new stuff and you'll see over time it optimizes. So how do you think about the, the numbers part of this? When you So the first step it sounds like is to think to iterate and test, right? You're really mm -hmm. big on A-B testing, which I can reflect back on when we started Blissful Prospecting, when we were doing something similar to what you guys are doing now, you know, creating email sequences and writing and stuff. We didn't A-B test enough because it's like a lot of work, you know, to mm -hmm. A-B test. Yeah. It's a lot of copy that you have to create. What does the very first A-B test look like? How many different variations of something are you trying? The very, like just out of the gates. Yeah, so and how many, how many data points actually, how many prospects do you need to send that to in order to feel like you're getting something useful back? Yeah, I would say we want to send at least six, 700 emails per campaign, yeah. just for us to, to look yeah. back and say, okay, this is working. This isn't working. Ideally it's a thousand emails because remember it's not a thousand new people. It's also, it's a thousand steps. So within those sequences, they're getting follow-ups. So we want to see that um, usually, and it, and, it, and it varies, but when we build a campaign, we'll probably test for just one campaign, we'll test three subject lines, we'll test two different message variations for that opening message, we'll test three or four calls to action. And we're actually doing more of that. We're, we used to not A-B test calls to action as much, but I think that's the sign-off, the way that you put the ball in their court is huge, right? And then we also add A-B tests for like the second email, right? We'll put in two or three, sometimes three or four variations for the second email. And then if sometimes we'll get creative as we go down the sequence, so someone's not responding, let's say they're at the third step, right? They've seen a couple of emails. Now we might wanna get a little creative with, all right, let's put in a screenshot. So if it's, so most of my clients are SaaS platforms. Let's put in a screenshot of the platform, bring it to life a little bit for them. I wanna help you visualize this a little bit for more context, right? And we'll just kind of put in a screenshot. Like if you're using spreadsheets or paper, like would this dashboard make your life easier? And I'm being very generic right now. Yeah. But then we'll also A-B test that against a user review. So we'll have that running alongside. So half prospects are gonna get that snapshot the other half are going to get a user review from a client and this is critical for user reviews that it's actually the same personas who you're reaching out to so make yeah. sure if you have a campaign you're reaching out to a vp of finance or a cfo that's a head of finance who's in that review and we'll test both of those and after a thousand two thousand emails we'll be able to quickly see okay the open rate is better for that snapshot reply rates better overall interest, we're converting more leads with variation. Yeah. So for next campaigns, we're going to use more of that. It's going to help us drive that. And so it's, it's, it's a lot of discipline involved with like revisiting your sequences over and over again. And I, to bring up, um, I know a lot of people probably follow Josh Braun. Um, yep. He's a great guy, awesome content. I th think he posted about this a few months ago. It was like Stephen King used to like go back, he would write a paragraph or a rough draft and he would go back like 15 times yeah. to take out the fluff. So yep. once you've done the A-B testing and you've built the personas, okay, here's the problem that's tied into the head of finance. This is what they're gonna care about, right? Keep going back over and over again, take out those little fluff words because prospects are gonna be skimming this. As much as people wanna believe that they are gonna like, stop everything they're doing, turn their, turn their phone off, look at their screen, or if they're on their phone, just cut everything out and read your email in its entirety it is not happening. Like we know how we read emails, make it skimmable 
And the way you do that is to cut the fluff out. So once yeah. you built it, just be disciplined about it. I don't know. Does that is is that kind of how you thought about it when you were doing the the done for you stuff? Uh, honestly, not as not as this in depth because mostly I was just really trying to figure out what the fuck we were doing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, let's well, unpack. Yeah, um, let's unpack this subject lines. How do you approach subject lines? What are some you know, like, how do you structure a subject line? Like, how do you, how do you think about subject lines? What do you, what do you see in work? Yeah. So you definitely don't want to be deceptive. That's the worst. Cause people feel like, even if it's a problem that you're like, they have this problem, their hair is on fire, but if they feel deceived, it's just a bad way to start a relationship. So you don't yeah. want to be deceptive, but you also don't want to be too long-winded. So my general rule of thumb, three words or less. Yeah. Sometimes putting their first name in there don't put that sometimes people put like the company name and I wouldn't put the company name in because then that could be kind of long-winded I would mm -hmm. just do you do first name it can be as as easy as like quick question hey first name and then you just get into the email on the body um, it could be like a question just with one word you know like financing or something like that I know I keep bringing that up um, something that's relevant to like that's a tie-in with what you do and what they care about but yeah, I, you don't want them to like, it's, it's kind of like with LinkedIn outreach, when you send a connector message, you want it to be like kind of personalized, like more relevance at scale, but you don't want them to think too hard. If the like, people who send connector messages on LinkedIn, like they give all this info and then you're making the prospect think too hard. Like, do I want to yeah. accept this connection? Like, I don't know, like, are they going to pitch me? Like, do I really need this right now? And I think it's the same thing with a subject line is like, don't make them think right? Just, oh, I'll open it because it looks like kind of broad enough where it could be in my world. And they're also going to see that first line. So make sure that's yeah. relevant. I think that piece is so important because there's some really bad advice I see out there on subject lines around how creative they need to be. So like rule of three or, you know, mm -hmm. kind of doing stuff like that, where you're like putting in three random words in there and like that, yeah. I've seen that work, but when you throw numbers in there, it just, hundred percent, man. When someone has to think really hard to burn calories to do something that is really the lowest thing on their priority list, looking at a cold email, hmm. you're just asking too much of them. Agreed. I love one word subject lines. Like yeah. I have a company that I worked with that sells an automated welding solution. So it's yeah. hardware and software as a service. It will replace the need to hire welders. Yeah. So the subject line is just welders, right? That's it. And it has That's like a 60, 70% open rate. You know, yeah. it's just straight to the point. It's really relevant to what they're thinking about. And it's not tricky in any yeah. kind of way. I think, do you think that people try to get too creative sometimes with copy to the point that it's just like a total miss? It's almost like telling a joke that no one gets. Right. Yeah, I completely. And I would say to, to that point, I think there's kind of, if you talk to like a head of marketing sometimes, or head, I think a head of sales usually will, will get this intrinsically, right? there's a big difference between a marketing email and a sales engagement email. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes people get the lines crossed a little bit. Like, you know, when you're sending a marketing automation email to subscribers or people that have opted in or someone that's like used your, that have done a, they've gone through a trial, right. You're going to say something to them that the call to action is going to be a little bit different. It might be a little longer winded. Cause like you, they're kind of like in your world, but that's a huge, huge deviation from like what a cold email should look like. Yep. It really needs to feel, even if it's not one-to-one, -one, there's a difference between like one to 500 versus one to like 10,000. People can yeah. tell the difference. It's not either, it's not binary. It's not either like, oh, this is totally customized. But if you're not doing that, then just have a campaign with 10,000 names in there. Like that's also crappy. Yeah. So like, you don't want to be too, so it's a little bit of a, a runoff from what you were saying, but like, kind of like, you don't want to be too creative. You just really want to focus on like the thing that they're going home complaining about. Like, yeah. what do they, what, like, what are they complaining about to their coworkers, to their family? Like their, what are their KPIs? You know, mm. like, is any of that really creative? It's not necessarily creative. It's more like just understanding who they are. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that next piece. So you said three subject lines, two messages. What kind of, and you've talked about pain points and aligning those with value. How do you, the biggest thing I see people struggling with is just finding that stuff. 
where they get really broad sometimes where they'll reach out to a chief revenue officer and be like, yeah, you're probably trying to close more revenue this quarter. And it's like, no shit, Sherlock. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. not specific enough, man. You know, where yeah. they're like, hey, one of the things that's getting in the way is your sales qu- people are not hitting quota. It's like, that's not specific enough either, you know? So mm-hmm. how do you, how do you, like the thing that's most impressive about what you do, and this is this was the hardest part for me is that if I'm creating all the copy for something I don't sell, I got to be really good at extracting that information from the person that I'm writing the copy for. Like, what's how do you approach that piece? How do you really come up with the message and really know what these people go home from work and complain about? Yeah, I think it's doing a lot of like kind of deep dives with before I write anything, before I build the first list, like I need to first hear it from my client. So most of my clients are SaaS startups, right? They've raised a seed round, series A, something like that. In a lot of ways, they're still trying to figure out what they do and like who they serve best, but there's still a lot of great nuggets in their brain that maybe it just hasn't made its way into their site or onto paper. So digging deep with them, like who do we really help here? And then it's kind of, I guess by the way that we work and working with so many clients, we're able to figure out like what's going to resonate, but it's kind of like the problem behind the problem, like what everybody talks about, you know, yeah. don't just show, like, I guess, don't just show them that, you know, them like on the surface level. Cause like, that's not that impressive, you know, but if you find a trigger, if you're like, you know, you're reaching out to a head of marketing about ways to like boost leads who are visiting their website, you know, like, take out the jargon. Like everybody wants to boost leads. So a lead goes on their website and, you know, we work with a company that sells like virtual self-guided product tours. Right. So in that case, like, yeah, you could use a lot of jargon, like, Hey, you want to boost more leads by, you know, 70%. Like you want more people to like book demos. So your sales team is it like, for me, it's, it's more about the fear of missing out for them. Like they have their own KPIs, their own growth goals. Talk to those. Like, how many people are like going up, how many people kind of saying like a story for them? Like how many people jump on your website and, and after 15, 20 seconds of scanning through have no idea what you do and they just walk away. It's a missed opportunity. What if they were able to like engage with your product, take five seconds out of their day to go through a few steps and feel like they've really invested some time in this. That might boost conversions. At least we've seen that with company XYZ. Like because that's the thing they care about is they put all this money and resources into their website. And what a waste if people are going on the site and leaving after 10 seconds, just like confused. So it's kind of like, I would say speak more to the downside versus the upside. And I think you've, you've spoken about that too. I don't know how you feel about that in, in copy. Like when you talk to reps, like finding more success with talking to the downside because that to yeah. me, at least from what we've seen, is going to start more conversations. Yeah. Versus like, you know, here's all the benefit. Here, here are all the yeah. prior, you know, priorities that'll be it. I like to do both. <laughs> yeah. So what that would be is like, um, like people like you that invest in a website want to did that because you want to do accomplish this, but here's what you're missing out on. So you're kind of hitting both the positive and the negative. Um, but I think it's like all about, it depends on what you sell and who you sell it to. I found that, um, with the companies I work with that sell into enterprise being more aspirational works with C-suite a little better than the, than going on what you're, what you stand to lose kind of thing. Um, because they tend to be a little more thinking about the next six to 12 months plus out versus like a problem that's occurring right now that maybe a director at a fortune 1000. So I think it's, it depends. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on who you're, you're reaching out to, but okay. So what kind of questions are you asking your clients? Like, do you have any examples of questions that you might ask them through the onboarding process to, to flesh out some of these things? Yeah. So we, we have like a, it's like 16 or 17 questions. It's an onboarding yeah. assessment. And it digs in and I can even like pull it up. But the, the gist of it is the first few questions are around, okay, target markets, right? Mm-hmm. And I want them to get really specific, okay? Like not just geography or headcount, but like actual roles at those companies, right? Verticals, so like industries, but also verticals, like get really specific. 
Um, and then the, the second question is like, what are your prospects doing right now instead of you to get the job done? Like, yeah. what are they doing right now? Because they're doing something like maybe they're doing nothing. Maybe they're like fully complacent and just, they don't know what they don't know, but maybe they are doing something. And then we're, we might have to talk about uprooting a current system or platform. So like, what is that going to sound like? So give me like three or four of those scenarios of like what they might be doing. Cause that's, that is, that might be the most important question on the assessment because that's yeah. going to drive a lot of the copy is like, Hey, and that helps us show them that we know them. Like you might be doing X, Y, Z. We've talked to, you know, other CFOs that are trying to do that. Like, and then kind of like paint a picture for them. Like if you were able to accomplish this, right. Like, what would that do? What would that do to your top line? Or like, how much, how much would you save? Like, how much would you be able to automate? Right. So we get into that and then it's followed by like value props. But I always ask, like, just be raw with it. Like, don't give me like the canned stuff on your website. Like, I want you to tell me like deep down, like, what are the value props? Like, why is somebody going to buy this product today? Is it a nice to have? Or is it something that they really need to be able to like hit their numbers, hire more? And like you said before, it depends on where they're at in the organization. If it's a CEO or a founder or a CRO or a VP of sales or a CMO, they're going to be very strategic, right? They're yeah. thinking a year out, two years out. What does my team look like in two, three years? So like paint that picture for them, right? But at the lower level, it's talking about, their, you know, the lower level, they're probably interacting with all that technology, all the, their tech stack. They're probably yeah. banging their head against a wall. They're struggling with communication with their team. They're having issues with collaborating, especially now. So speak to that, right? So I ask clients to kind of like, sort of like rank that, like list it all out. And then we can figure out who we're going to go after first. But the beauty, and I'll kind of end on this, is like the beauty is, we all want to get meetings, right? And the, the beauty of outbound is a, it's the quickest way to get in front of the right person. But I would also yeah. say as a, as a secondary to that, if you do it the right way and you set up lots of campaigns with lots of A-B testing, you're also going to get immediate feedback. And that helps for, you know, and that's why it, what we do speaks to a lot of like founders or CEOs because they're like, I just want to figure out like what's going to resonate with who? Because like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I think I know. Yeah. What's an example of a bad value prop that you see here that's got a lot of fluffy language in it versus something that is like, okay, cool. There's some meat here. Like I can work with this because value props are, I think such a confusing thing for most mm -hmm. people, how to talk about what you do. Right. Yeah. But what, yeah, what's a good versus bad example sound like? I, I think a bad example is where it's just very long winded with a lot of words that mean nothing where it's like, we're going to, like, we're going to make you, we're going to make your, so I have a client, or I worked with a client um, for a few months. And I think that they struggled with like really communicating their product, like who they're selling to call center managers, right? And there's a lot of AI involved with what they do, but they couldn't quite articulate like why someone is going to do this now or what the AI actually solved. So what they did instead, it was just a ton of jargon, you know? We're going to streamline. We're going to make your team more efficient. We're going to automate. We're, yeah. It's like, okay, those are all great words. I love it. But like, yeah. I don't think it's going to hold up in a cold email. So it forced them to maybe get a little bit more specific, but I still think it was kind of like a struggle. Like, like how does their AI, their automation look different to somebody else? Um, yeah. A good value probably is just quick and to the point. Like I work with a, a, a company that does they, they produce like video content for startups that want to do educational videos, testimonials. And they're like, we will create the videos for you at half the cost of a production company. So you're a startup, you're growing, you don't have all these funds to invest in a huge production team with equipment. Like we'll do it for you. It's going to look, it's going to, it's going to look like that. It's going to be that level of quality, but for half the price, a third of the price. Right. Yeah. And it'll also help you be more prolific. You can, you can build more videos. You can do it. You can do it at a higher velocity and those campaigns do great. Yeah. It's just simple. I, yeah. I think if you overcomplicate it, I, I'm sure you see it that way too, because you, I mean, you work with a lot of sales teams and it's, you probably see both yeah. sides of it. Well, I think that I 100%, man, I think that 
when people get into enterprise sales, I've noticed that they really overcomplicate it. Mm. You know, where if you have a solution that helps with patient experience, just say that it's going to make your patients happier and they're going to want to come back to your hospital more instead of going to the one down the street. That's literally how simple you can talk about it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're selling to one of the large, largest hospital networks and you're talking to a C-level person. They just want to know, are people going to continue? Are, are we retaining enough of the people that pay us right now? Are they mm-hmm. happy? And if they're not, how do we make them happier so that they don't go to our competitors? It's really that simple. When you think about it, it should be even easier to talk to these above the line personas, these BPs and C-levels. It should be easier because they're so outcome driven. Mm-hmm. Like just what is the business yeah. outcome that your solution provides? Or yeah. how does it help you with something that gets in the way of that? You know? Yeah, I agree. And I would say like structurally, like when, when you send that email, you know, like you go to like, I don't have to bring it to me metaphors here, but like you go into a restaurant and it's like the really nice restaurants have a very short, there's like almost nothing on the menu. It's like, yeah. it's like three things, five things. So you're thinking each of these things is really good. So it's a question of like what I want, but you're, you're, you're putting a lot more value in every single thing you see on that menu versus this other giant menu at like a cheap restaurant. And you're like, I can't even think right now. I can't even think straight. It's yeah. like making my head spin. And I think what I see in a lot of cold outreach is you're making prospects work too hard. Like don't, don't put bullet points in a first email, like ever, like don't put, at least my opinion, don't, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. Don't put five, six bullet points and and hope that they'll pick one of them out. Oh, that third bullet point. Yep. That that's relevant to me. Okay. We can talk because they're not going to do that. Yeah. A, they're going to skim it and B, like it's just going to be too overwhelming and they're not going to get closure. And I think, you know, psychologically, like I think people want closure when you open an email, your brain wants you to finish it. You know, it's yeah. nice to get closure on that. So they don't, if they see some crazy long winded email, they're going to, they're going to say, well, I'm not even like jumping into that because I'm not going to finish it. And then that's going to make me feel bad. Yeah. But if you give somebody something really easy to chew on with a quick value prop, right? a quick problem with a quick value prop that ties into that and just focus on one thing, see yeah. if that works and then move on. Like, I think that that's going to solve the conversation. Yeah. I think that's the biggest take home from this episode is like, think about how much work that you're creating for the prospect. There's this, let me ask you this. What, what advice do you see out there that you've consumed on outbound that it's just been now that you're sending millions of these emails for your clients on a monthly basis, this is just bad advice. So like, what, what, what do you feel like mm. it's celebrated a lot out there on LinkedIn or in books or podcasts? It's like, Hey, this is just not my experience with this is really the opposite. That's conventionally good advice that really is that good. Is there anything like that mm. that comes to mind? You know what I think it is? I think that there are so many books and resources on sales. Like the kind of like mid funnel, bottom of the funnel, like how to close a deal, all the acronyms out there of like, you know, the challenger sale, like how to get, how to get a deal done quicker. And I think people will apply those same principles that you would do at like the bottom of the funnel in terms of like qualification, for example, you know, like don't qualify now, like a prospect, like that's you build your list the right way so that you're talking to the right people, but don't qualify them with some like questionnaire. Right. So I think that a lot of that kind of gets like, like muddied with like what outbound is and people will apply those principles to outbound because outbound is, I think is a very specific discipline and there might not be enough like research or, or resources out there to like teach reps how to do it the right way. You know, this isn't about discovery. What's that? I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. It's, I don't know, like we, we spend a lot of time on how to do a discovery call, which I think is also changing now with how you do a discovery yeah. call, like how to do a demo, how to follow up with a prospect, like outbound cold email, like it's, it's, it's like a different animal altogether. What's your experience with that? Maybe you have some examples. Well, I think that there's, I, one of the things I say a lot is don't prospect to make a sale prospect to start a conversation. Always. So yeah, treating them as separate disciplines, totally. Yeah. Because a lot of people talk to their prospects like they're engaged in the sales process with them. Mm-hmm. 
it's different when you have a 30 minute discovery call and the person is opted in, they've chosen to be there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. When you send an email to someone, a cold email, or you cold call them, they didn't choose, they didn't opt into that experience. So when you yeah. qualify them, it's, it just seems like a total jerk move to do to someone, you know what I mean? To interrupt them and then to talk and to get them excited about talking to you and then make them feel like they're not good enough to talk to you. It's really weird. It is weird. It is. I think sometimes like founders are like, and they, they all have like really good intentions with it because they're building an awesome product, right? In a lot yeah. of cases, but sometimes they're just uncomfortable with, with intrigue, with building intrigue. Like they almost- yeah think to themselves, okay, this is my shot to like talk to a prospect. This is my chance. Like I need to tell them everything and the worst advice. And I don't, you know, now I think that the game is changing and guys like you and Josh Braun and all those people that talk about prospecting, like have the right idea about this. And it's changing the way reps think. It's like, don't talk about your product. Like, I yeah. know you have that urge to, I would say a rep that's starting with a new company, you should write copy within that first week. Like yeah. don't wait three months or four months. So, you know, when everybody says, all right, time to build a sequence, I would write it in its most raw form before you kind of get like a little brainwashed with like, or just two in the weeds with all the facets and features of like what, what the company does. Yeah. Cause then you're not at a really early stage before you know about your product, you're coming in with almost the same base level of knowledge that a prospect might have. Exactly. So without that understanding a friend of mine Bilal Bitrawi talks about the curse of knowledge yeah, he's great yeah um so do you have any example kind of email language like what do, what does a good email kind of like sound like just so people have an idea yeah we need to pull pull up something um so let's see I would say here I'll pull up an example and I want to pick your brain real quick on CTAs actually I forgot to talk yeah. to you about CTAs too yeah, let's do it. So this is a company that sells, like it's an add-on to an ERP system. So it's something as simple as, like I'm just literally pulling this, pulling up a random company in a random sequence. Yeah, this one has like a 9%. Here, you know, this one has a 9% reply rate. Not bad. So for this particular company, we know we're able to look at their technographic data and see what kind of tech they're using. So they're using an ERP called Epicor, right? So like, hey, can see you're using Epicor. Curious, how do your shop floor workers relay data back to the mothership? In, mo in most cases, it's scattered at best, right? That's kind of the opening thing that they see, right? Yeah. So we know that they're using Epicor. We also have a variation on that to say like, hey, notice you're leading operations at company. Also notice you're using Epicor one of the things we're hearing from Epicor users is that it's really tough for those shop floor workers to relay critical data back to management, right? And then kind of get into like a little deeper. So Epicor users can interface with a mobile platform, not a kiosk, ensuring those activities don't get lost in the shuffle. I haven't really talked about anything about what, what this company does. Like we do blah, 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 right? And then I even dig into the problem a little bit more with a quick sign up. So I'll say kiosks, because that's what they'll typically use like a kiosk. It's bulky, time consuming, prone to errors. This allows you to, to input data a little faster and spend more time on important stuff. Want to see what our tool looks like. That's one of the CTAs. Yeah, I like that. So it's the personalization for you then is really on finding the, in this case, the personalization is the tech stack. It's the tech stack. Really segmented outreach so that you don't have to write a custom line on an email, let's say, for yeah. example. Yeah. That's how we see it. I would say everybody talks about personalization at scale, which I think is a farce. I, I think it's great. Personalize your target. Let's say you have a hundred target accounts that you like chop your right arm off to work with, like personalize the hell out of those. Everything yeah. else I think should just be relevance at scale. You know, yeah. make sure it's the right role. It's the KPIs that they're they're judged on or that they care yeah. about, right? That it's the right timing. Yeah. If there's a cool trigger where you have like technographic data, like I just mentioned. Yeah, triggers. Just, yeah, we, we, love, we love using triggers. 
Um, tools like Apollo, Sales Navigator um, are awesome for being able to like build in triggers to be able to help you like drive a list. So you're basically looking at a lot of the outreach in, in from a segmentation standpoint. I'm going to, all of the companies that I can see that fit this tech stack, that's going to be a campaign that I run. Yeah. Yeah. Versus what a lot of people will do is they'll say, I'm going to reach out to everyone in my target market. And the ones that meet this tech stack requirement, I'll mention that Correct. versus creating that segmentation up in advance, where you can be like, okay, these 200 out of a thousand are using this competitor who we know we do better in this area. Mm -hmm. They're yeah. going to get from me. Yeah, exactly. You test that you test different roles at that company. So with this particular company, like they're going after like pretty large, like high end mid market enterprise names. So test out different sequences with different levels of the organization. Like the worst thing to do would be to write one sequence that's going out to the multiple people at that organization with the same message. Yeah. Because to me, that's not, it's not going to be relevant to everybody. And you're also not able to figure out quickly, like what's going to resonate with who. Yeah. So we'll try the technographic thing and yeah, go ahead. Oh, uh, what are their CTAs or do you like to use? Interest-based, always just interest-based CTAs, try and do something that's a little bit of a pattern interrupt. So like, you know, yeah. not like, do you have 20 minutes next Tuesday? That's also the worst advice. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think people are also starting to realize that the, the pitfalls there, but yeah. definitely not ask, don't ask for time. Yeah. Just try and get a gauge of their interests. Like, is this worth exploring? Like, want to see what our tool looks like? Mind yeah. if I send over a quick case study for more context, right? And you might think to yourself, like, well, if somebody wants a case study, then like, now I have to like go back and forth with them because then I have to send the case study and then there's, I have to see if they like it. There are some tricks to kind of get that meeting booked faster. I'm a big fan of like, if somebody says, yeah, sure, send me a case study. This might be a little ballsy, but you'd send the case study with a 15 minute placeholder two weeks out. And in that same email, we're like, here's the case study. Also, this is going to require a little bit of elaboration. I just dropped 15 minutes, two weeks out, right? So don't be scared by interest-based CTAs because you're worried that it's going to require so much back and forth. Ultimately, with all the, with all the noise out there, it's worth it. Like, that's the way that you're going to get, get somebody's attention. That in and of itself is a pattern interrupt. I 100%, man. I'm really big on... Like, how can you use email to start a conversation? Because if you get them to respond to an email, the likelihood, I don't know what the stats are, but the likelihood is probably 10 times higher that they'll respond to another email. Yeah. Get them to respond the first one. You know, now we're in a dialogue back and yeah. forth, you know? Um, but yeah, the case study one, I think is huge. People love seeing case studies of stuff. And you can, mm -hmm. if you can get them to say, yes, I want it now, you're not the one that's like only in the pursuit seat. Mm -hmm. of the ship dynamic. Now they're asking you, they're pursuing you a little bit. Yeah. And you could always pick up the phone and call people too. That's what I always suggest if a rep sends it. If someone says yes in the case, as soon as you get to see that email, pick up the phone and call them. Mm -hmm. Hey, Joel, um, you said that you wanted to check out that case study. I figured to pick up the phone and kind of do this the old fashioned way and set up some time for us to go through it together because it's not totally self-explanatory. Do you have your calendar handy? You know, and you could just go back That's in, great. schedule something right there. Um, sweet dude. Um, uh, there's so much here, like actionable things for me are, uh, I think that I could focus more on how people are getting the job done right now and helping reps see that there are people. Cause my best campaign or my best clients are the ones that already kind of intuitively go there. Mm -hmm. And some of them don't, they don't really think about what are the other things that they might be doing if they're not using my solution. Right. The clients that really get it, that just like they're already thinking like that. The other thing too, I thought was pretty interesting is I think it's just the mindset of thinking about cam a campaign versus a sequence. You know, it's like, I'm going to run a campaign on these prospects and find similarities amongst them related to the trigger versus mm -hmm. customizing an email every single time for that trigger. You know, it's, it's a little bit more work to do upfront, but it allows you to just hit send on a couple hundred people at a time with a highly relevant message, you know, yeah. and if you're getting 9% reply rates on something like that, I mean, that's killer. 
that's killer. You know, anything close to double digits or above on a cold email period is really good. Mm. You know, being able to get, I think for me, getting more out of the stuff that's a little bit more, you know, sequenced and, and, and templated, getting more out of that, I think is really where it's at. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, you're going to have those high priority accounts where you're going to do more customization because it's like a 500K deal size. Like yes. that makes sense to listen to the CEO on a podcast and send an email just to them that's about that because you could get a $500,000 deal out of it. Yes. A yeah. lot different than selling something that costs 10,000 bucks or 20 or 30, you know? 100%. Yeah, it doesn't have to be either or. I think some, some reps or a VP of sales will think of it in that way. It's like, no, we only customize everything. And then that leads to other problems, you know? Yeah. Because if that customization is just a random personalization point that doesn't tie into what you do, I don't know. Does that work? I don't, I don't do think, think it does. No, I don't think it does at all because people are like, what it feels like is you're trying to butter the person up. Yeah. People yeah, are not putting. You know, they're like, oh yeah, I saw you like the chargers. I do too. Anyways, <laughs> we have a solution that does this and but- it's really awesome. Like, okay, um, thanks for doing the five seconds of research. I appreciate that. But you also just want my money. So I know that there's that. Still not sure how you solved my problem. Uh, yeah, I think it's all segmentation. Like do the segmentation work. Figure out who like those hundred accounts are that and it's a living, breathing thing. It'll change. But then then do the rel- build those relevance at scale campaigns. And constant, I, I can't say this enough. Once you write that copy, Put it in motion for a couple of weeks, but continuously go back. You should be going back two, three times a month to the same message because sometimes and you've probably seen this too. Like when you help reps who think they're writing copy and you've written copy on your own, like you read it again. You're like, oh, I don't like the way that reads. I read it yeah. out loud. It doesn't sound like me. It sounds just kind of jargony and stuffy. I'm changing it. And that yeah. first time you wrote it, you're like, this is dynamite. We're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Being willing to change, treating your, your campaigns and your sequences, like a living, breathing, like document, like it's a draft, you know? Um, Hey, we got to take off, dude. This is great. Where can people go to connect with you? What are you doing at your company? Where can people go and check you out, man? Yeah. So check me out. Modernoutbound.com. Would love to chat with some of the listeners. We do cold email, cold LinkedIn outreach, uh, building the outbound machine for startups, small growing businesses. I'm looking forward to hearing from everybody. All right. That was a fun one with Joel. I really like digging into, you know, he's got some interesting CTAs, you know, want to see what our tool looks like. Want to see a quick case study. I love how conversational in nature those are. Um, two things before you take off. If you enjoyed this podcast with love, if you left a rating on Spotify, just go to the page, hit the rating button, leave your weight rating there. The other thing too, I wanted to let you know about is I do have a free cold call training available on our website. It's a training that I did with Ethan Parker on how we helped get his conversion rate of connected calls to meetings from about 14 ish percent to 35% plus I go through that whole framework. It's a free training. If you just go to blissfulprospecting.com, you'll see the tab on the very top free training, click on it. You should be able to check it out and get the, uh, framework and all that good stuff to help you with your cold calls. All right. We'll see you next episode.